This episode was brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Dave, Greg, Dan, Ian, Urza, Kevin, Ashley, Blake, Joel, Brian, Amy, Ian, West, and Trey. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now on to the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, The Father, a.k.a. Pastor Matt, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson the Sun, broadcasting live from Western Ohio, the epicenter for all the world's culture. <laughs> That's true. Look it up. Progressive culture, yeah, yeah. sure. Um, all, all, we all know that every great cultural move in America has come from Dayton. Um, so, so we true. are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss, and for this episode, we are looking beyond the borders of the United States to give a hat tip to international horror films. And to do this right, we needed to bring in a ringer. So please welcome the always awesome Trey Whetstone. How are you, sir? Great, guys. How are you doing? Awesome. Doing awesome. So Trey is a supporter over at uh, our Patreon page, and this was his pick. So Trey, why did you want to cover this topic, buddy? You know, I just really love exploring kind of different cultures and different films from different areas. And I feel like maybe sometimes other than, you know, we'll focus on Korea or something like that. Mm. Maybe it gets a little glossed over sometimes, especially some of the older stuff, you know. Um, So I just thought that'd be good to kind of bring some light to some uh, international work. Absolutely. I know that, you know, Dave, Dr. Shock Becker said, uh, who's also a Patreon supporter, uh, says that we are living in the golden age of horror. And I agree with him. But it isn't just America, Canada, and Great Britain. I mean, we've tr- tr- really seen amazing movies come from the south of the border, different parts of Europe, Asia. Right, Jackson? I mean, it's incredible. Oh, yeah, definitely. And with the, the invention of the Internet and the, the widespread you know, nature of that, it's, everything has become a lot more accessible. And I think that's, that's what we're learning this episode is that there's always been uh, good cinema coming from around the world. We just haven't been hearing about it until you know, the modern age. Um, and now there's incentive for people to make great horror movies because they know they can be seen by people across the globe. So definitely a little bit of a renaissance there. And uh, I, I think you're absolutely right that that the the golden age of horror we're living in isn't exclusive to North America. Like like people think of the 80s. We think the slashers and maybe Italian giallos. But this age, you know, everybody's top 10 has at least one international horror movie on it, it seems mm-hmm. like. So it is it is really this is a growing trend. Right. You agree with that, Trey? Is the golden age of foreign horror as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, we might have had like a another boom back in the 70s, mm-hmm. you know, as Jackson kind of said with the Giallo and some other films back there. But really, I mean, we've never been able to have this much like easily, easily distributed movies from overseas. So, yeah, it's been great. Absolutely. So how this is going to go, listeners, is uh, we've each picked a country and a film to discuss. And Trey, you are the guest. Let's start with you. What is the film and the nation you have chosen to discuss? Yeah, so the film I chose was Thesis from 1996. And that is from Spain. Te matarán para hacer una película. Me llamo Angela. Me van a matar. Yes, and so this is the IMDb rundown, like doing a thesis, hence the title, or thesis in Spanish about violence. Um, and I got to pr- make sure I pronounce this right. Angela um, finds a snuff video where a girl is tortured until death. Soon she discovers that the girl was a former student in her faculty. I'm not so sure faculty, but that's okay. That's uh, but something like that. And so IMDb is somewhat correct. So uh, Trey, when did you first see this? 
I actually just saw this earlier this year, Matt. Oh, wow. So it's fresh, and then I rewatched it um, last night. So Awesome, awesome. Jackson, what about you? This was the first time watching me, first time hearing about it for this episode, and I had only ever seen one other horror movie from Spain, as far as I know, and we talked about that on a previous episode. Uh, I think Bill Van Vega was on, we were talking about Christmas horror, but when I did Day of the Beast, mm -hmm. that was the only other uh, horror movie from Spain I think I had seen at that point. And uh, I'm definitely noticing a trend. I don't know. It feels, and that might be because it was the 90s as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely. Very compelling. Very different. Spanish horror feels very different to, uh, you'd expect it to be similar to like Mexican cinema or Italian cinema, but it's, it is its own breed. And we will talk, after we talk about this movie, we'll talk about some of those films and um kind of spanish you know film at uh at large um i saw this around maybe a year and a half two years ago um let me just say that the way i found it because it's not necessarily at that time it wasn't widely available but uh, to quote mr miyagi uh buddha provided um but it was not easy to find at the time i do remember it very vividly because this is not an easy film to forget um, and not the greatest recruitment tool for any university with a film school, wouldn't you say, Jackson? <laughs> not exactly, no. And and this movie is kind of meta, you know? It talks about the film industry a lot and how it's a business and everything. And I'm like, are they trying to scare people away from making movies? Or like, we got to show them we're better. We got to make Spanish movies. And the guy who's delivering that speech, it turns out to be, well, we won't get into that. But uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it is not a great recruitment tool. You show this to somebody who's considering a film degree and they might just back out. Not me, though. Not me. I'm I'm a weirdo. So this this kind of intrigued me, if anything. <laughs> All right. So Trey, tell me, tell us just about this. Your feelings about this film. What do you think? What do you think about the the plot, the film, of the whole? What do you, what's your uh, what's your verdict, sir? Yeah, I was going to start off, um, Jackson. I'm glad you said that about the meta part because this is such kind of like from even a different level, you know. Because um, Alejandro Amenabar, who was the director on this film, mm -hmm. was in film school at the time that he was shooting this. Um, and, you know, this was kind of his critique on violence in media. Um, and that's exactly what the film goes into as well. It's a, you know, film student writing a thesis on the audiovisual violence. And I just love this. And I was saying, you know, I rewatched it again last night and I was just going to kind of pick through it and watch bits and pieces, kind of refresh myself. And I ended mm -hmm. up just watching the whole thing. So I just couldn't put it down. Um, it's just, it's such like a tense ride throughout the whole thing. And I just love it, you know? Absolutely. And this was, like you said, I mean, the director was in film school, Alejandro Aminabar. Um, this was his de uh, directorial debut, uh, directed for roughly the equivalent of uh, $840,000. So pretty low budget. But I thought, Trey, really impressive for a debut. Oh, Absolutely. This doesn't feel like any kind of debut. No. And this guy feels like he's been behind the camera for several years. Well, yeah. And, you know, five years later, he would get behind the camera for the others. The others. So, yeah, yeah pretty big gun here. It seemed like he was off, hit the ground running, really, from the beginning. Absolutely. And it, and before I go over to Jackson, do you hit, do you, there's a couple scenes where, and of course there are red herrings and it's kind of hard to follow. It kind of goes back and forth as far as suspects, but, and then there's a scene where somebody's walking and, and so there's a little tinge of a giallo feel. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you can see that and we'll discuss this a little more later. I think you can see that in some Spanish films is that kind of, 
you know, they're not that far from Italy, so maybe it's got a little of that vibe. But yeah, this is this is a great thriller from the mid '90s. Absolutely. So, Jackson, what do you think of the directorial debut? And do you agree there's a little bit of a giallo feel here? There is definitely a giallo feel. It it has the same kind of vibe. Um, And, of course, the red herrings. I mean, there are so many back and forth and back and Mm -hmm. forth and suspicion shifts so much. Um, But it's interesting, you know... I didn't know that he was a that he was a, actually a film student while he was making this. I thought maybe he had just graduated and was looking back on it or something. But now that you say that, this is really from a film student's perspective because this this is so the knowledge about film is so apparent from the characters. Like they're talking about nerdy stuff like cameras and focus and digital zooms and stuff. This makes so much sense now. I mean, it, it's so obvious that the, a film student made this, um, and that that makes me love it even more. And the, it's so complex. There's so many different characters weaving in and out of each other's lives in this. It's mm-hmm. impressive to think that he was doing other work. He was at he was at school and doing this at the same time. I can't even imagine. And it is very impressive that they did this for under a million dollars because. It's it's there's a a lot happens in this movie. A lot happens. There's a lot of different sets and set and set pieces. Um, and I think it does a, a good job of keeping itself moving, even though it is over two hours. Um, yep. it, it really does keep itself moving at the pace that a 90 minute movie would. Yeah, it's two hours and five minutes, but it doesn't feel like it. And yeah, I thought the pacing was really well done. And this stars Anna Torrent who was also in Veronica, which is one of my favorite movies from a few years ago. Um, Trey, what did you think of Ms. Torrance's performance? Oh, I think she did an excellent job. Um, really believable. And, you know, she's kind of going on this crazy journey. And like you guys mm-hmm. said earlier, twisting and turning. And I just think she does an excellent job of creating a character that we want to root for, that we care about if something would happen to her and, yeah, absolutely. And the rest of the cast is strong, too. I mean, I liked, you know, I liked all of them. I thought even all the guys who are, you know, the red herrings, I thought all of them did a good job of playing just a little bit suspicious. And so I enjoyed that uh, as well. Jackson, what did you think of Miss Torrance's performance? She she was fantastic. And, you know, now that we're, we're comparing this to Giallo's, she kind of reminded me a little bit of a less confused Aja Argento. And um, <laughs> oh, what was that movie called from the 90s that Argento did? The Stendhal Syndrome. Stendhal yeah. Syndrome, of course, we covered that. Um, and uh, yeah, she she did a fantastic job. I think I liked her a little bit better than Aja Argento in that movie. But um, the whole cast was fantastic, her included. And um, yeah, they, they were very, there is a language barrier, but I could tell that they were knocking it out of the park. I mean, even um, Fele Martinez, is that his name? Uh, uh, he was... So. His rapport with with uh, Angela was fantastic. I thought even from the beginning they had a great back you mean and forth. Angela. Angela, right. <laughs> Me llamo Angela. Me van a matar. Um, yeah, they were fantastic. The the two leads, I would say the the two leads, um, were were fantastic. Her her especially, and she does have to carry a lot of the movie uh, and act like I I I can almost guarantee that they weren't showing the actors the actual snuff film that they were showing on screen. Maybe they were, I don't know. But I feel like they were just acting to nothing, and they did a really good job of acting like they were seeing something truly disturbing. Yeah, I, I yeah, I have no doubt that they they either showed them something really disturbing, maybe not a snuff film, who knows what they showed them, but um, you know, maybe they took the Wes Craven route and, you know, he was shooting with Drew Barrymore and Scream just kept telling her about, you know, news articles about animals being tortured so she'd keep crying. Um, you know, who knows, but Yeah, I think the entire cast is terrific. I I was blown away, and I didn't know, when I originally reviewed this for Letterboxd, uh, I think a few years ago, 
I, I had I didn't look up anything. I just was kind of blown away by the film. Didn't know it was the director's debut. I'm kind of shocked he hasn't done much since the others. He's done some TV, but man, I I you want to talk about a a powerful double bill tray? I mean, this and the others back to forth. That's that's a heck of a double bill, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I was surprised about it too. You know, you see some Spanish language films after that, but kind of done with Hollywood. It seemed like after the others, and maybe it was because Tom Cruise was his producer. Uh, maybe that was enough. <laughs> um, why is this five foot five guy yelling at me all the time? Um, <laughs> oh man, yeah, I was, I was Jackson. Were you kind of shocked that, to learn that that he does hasn't done much since the others? I mean, yeah, like Trace, he's done a few films here and there. He's done a short. He's done right now. He seems to be doing TV. But I mean, have, have Jackson, have you seen the others with Nicole Kidman? I haven't. No, but oh. based, based on this, I mean, it, it is surprising because you know what what Hollywood loves to do. They find an indie guy who made a good movie for a low budget and they snap him up and give him a a blockbuster um, with the same mentality that he'll deliver it under budget. And sometimes that doesn't happen, but uh, yeah, I'm definitely surprised. I don't know. Um, Maybe it's his choice. Maybe he just doesn't want to associate with Hollywood, like you said. Um, And I can't say I blame him, but um, yeah, this is for, for, a a debut this should have shook the world i feel like this definitely should have gotten him some cred um and uh i'm i'm surprised it it didn't for the most part i mean it seems like he had to wait a while to to do anything else that was um kind of as high key as this but um I, yeah i don't know that that just happens sometimes sometimes people f- fall through the cracks that's just unfortunately how it is you got to play the game really you got to be right in there yeah um, so it is, it is unfortunate, but I wouldn't count them out just yet. Yeah. No, I was going to say, oh, sorry. Sorry. No, go ahead, Trey, please go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, it looks like, um, when I was looking at his filmography, he did do a film called open your eyes, mm-hmm. um, in between these two. And it looks like a, you know, mystery sci-fi film with Penelope Cruz. So oh. it has looked, looks like it has pretty high ratings. So I'm interested in that. I don't know, you know, probably not related to the horror community, right. but. Well, yeah, but, uh, you know, I I think we've all seen that, you know, the, the directors who kind of go in and out of, of horror and sci-fi, um, many of them do well with both, right? I mean, it's, um, so I, I, I'd be interested to see it, and I like Penelope Cruz, so I'd be interested to see that as well. So what notes do you have here on, uh, on Thesis, Trey? What do you want to talk about here? Uh, a couple things, and Matt, you may be um, better equipped for this. This film just kind of oozes the 90s, doesn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, very much so. Yeah, it's just so kind of nostalgic of like what I remember watching on TV at the time, all that stuff. You know, they've got the VHS players and they've just the clothes they're wearing. The whole vibe kind of feels like it feels more like an American feel than it does actually like a Spanish film Mm -hmm. um, with the little that I know about Spanish culture and stuff. But it does definitely feel like the 90s um, all throughout that movie. Um, Maybe not as much as when we get to Jackson's uh, film, the scene where the thugs are wearing the Z Cavaricci oh, knockoff man. parachute <laughs> pants. But anyway, yes, 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 you're right, Trey. It feels very 90s. But, I, you know, hey, man, I was in college in the 90s. I'm good with it. It doesn't bother me. I thought they handled it really well. Um, and, I, and one of the things I'm grateful for you know, because we got so much junk in, in, in the 90s in the horror genre, but I think we got just enough with films like Scream and The Craft and other stuff like that. And I, you know, that I think that, you know, people who are younger 
can watch this without feeling completely dated because they're a little more educated about that kind of stuff, like the VCRs and all that other kind of stuff. But yeah, it definitely has a nineties feel. Yeah. And we were, and you just mentioned scream, you know, we're talking about this being kind of a meta film and you know, this came out what mm-hmm. six, seven months before scream. Yep. So, yep. which I know new nightmare and stuff had already come out, but yeah. Um, no, I was some other notes on the cast. I kind of had, um, I think, uh, Bosco and, uh, Professor Castro, they both feel very like sleaze balls. <laughs> yes, yes, very much. They do a very good job of that. Yes, um, they do. And even uh, Chema sometimes as well. Um, I kind of have like a love hate relationship with Chema because um, you can yes. tell he's really trying to be genuine, but he just kind of is playing it off in such a an annoying way. And um, and did you uh, happen to spot he was wearing a Cannibal Holocaust shirt at one point? Oh, if I oh, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> oh man, yeah. That's and that's something that, uh, yeah. That's it's amazing to me how many people I meet only know Cannibal Holocaust by reputation. They've never really, never really seen it. Which I, if you're an animal lover, and we'll get to that in a minute, Jackson. Um, if you're an animal lover, uh, I could understand that. And I am an animal lover, but uh, still, yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that, Trey. Yeah, the Cannibal Holocaust. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think this film just does such a good job of keeping tension and just making you feel, you know, so worried for the characters. There's a couple, you know, there's a scene later on with um, matches. Yeah. That's very tense. Um and I just think it does a really good job of keeping the tension and momentum throughout the movie. Yeah, I was shocked because I went into this, and we'll get to you here in a second, Jackson. I went into this when I first watched it pretty much blind. All I knew was I was going through horror movies of 1996. I saw it pop up on a number of people's lists, and um, and so I tracked it down. And I was just blown away. And you're right, once... You know, once the professor kind of helps her find the movies, the kind of hidden movies back in the archives and stuff like that, from there on out, um, it doesn't let up off the gas very often. No, it doesn't. And you mentioned that um, scene with the professor and finding the movies and that mm-hmm. that whole that whole opening of this film is just incredible and kind of drew me in. And, you know, him sitting there in the viewing room watching that movie. And it's it's just so it's such a mystery from the beginning there. And it's. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's the, you know, the almost the before that um, I'd forgotten. I'm remembering now um, if I remember correctly, she's on a train and somebody commits suicide or something by throwing something. And she and, you know, the, she's writing her thesis on, you know, violence. And yet she wants to see the body, which, you know, there's a there's there's some symbolism going on there. It's like even she's attracted to the you know, you can't help but looking at the car wreck kind of thing. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that because the whole way through, it's like, oh no, I'm disgusted by violence. Yet she cannot look away from, yeah, know, the she stuff, can. film or anything she's seen. So right, exactly, exactly. Jackson, what do you think? Am I on track here? No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that opening was was wild. What a way to open a movie! Just immediately, someone has been cut in half on the train tracks. Don't look. 
Uh, and it's it's so dramatic the way it's shot and edited. Some parts in slow motion, some parts are normal speed. Um, and it's just and it was really funny. The man who warns them, he's really graphic and like he he gives out a lot of information <laughs> yeah. they didn't ask for. He's <laughs> like, someone has thrown themselves in front of the train. They have been cut in half. Don't look. And it's like, okay, well, now that you said that, I mean, it's it's that that really did draw me in though. And and it's such a I don't want to. This is gonna sound weird, but it's such a tease, you know. She's look she's walking up towards the thing and i was like oh we're gonna get to see some practical effects like one minute into the movie but nope she's she's pulled away and i was like ah and i caught myself and i was like wait a second (laughs) i'm i'm responsible i i i i got the the same hypocrisy as as the main character um and i think that was really the filmmaker like see but you want to see it don't you and uh she can't help herself there you know there's the part where there where um the the snuff film was playing and she's looking away from it and then he's like don't look don't look don't look and he can't she can't help herself she turns around to look at it in the worst possible part um, it is really, you know, that that is such a, again, another meta layer. It's like it's playing with us as the audience, too, because we hear her listening to it. And we're like, what could possibly be going on? She's screaming so loud. We, we're kind of morbidly curious about what we're going to see. And then when we see it, we only see it in flashes. But that's really all we need. Everything that we need is in those flashes. And the rest just you don't even want to think about it. All right. Absolutely. So. Trey, before we turn to uh, Spanish horror kind of in general, any any more notes you have on thesis? You know, I just, the only other thing I said, and, and uh, Matt, you were saying you were kind of going into this blind. I've always kind of been fascinated about this, and maybe ever since like something like Video Dream, about this idea of like this snuff film. It's such a weird, like urban legend type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's just a great hook to this film. And uh, I think that's all. I think that's all I wanted to say. I just really think that's a good hook to get into this film. If you're absolutely, absolutely. And so Jackson, what about you? Any more notes on thesis before we turn to our ratings and recommendations and Spanish horror in general? Uh, I just want to say, uh, I think that I was very weirded out watching this movie because I thought the movie was ending and then I looked at the runtime and there was still half an hour left and I was like, oh, there's more. Uh, this is one of those, this is one of those movies. It's like, uh, like, um, Godzilla raids again where you're like, it's over and it's not. And I would have liked the movie a lot less if it had ended right there. I was like, oh, that's the twist. I think the twist. A lot of movies don't do that well, but I think this did that well. I think it did. Yeah. Because your tension is alleviated for a second, right? But then they're sitting watching the news and they're like, there's somebody else. And you're like, oh, man, here we go. And it definitely ends better the second time, if that makes any sense. The final ending we get is much more satisfying. It brings the whole thing together much better. And I definitely would, even if it would have ended a half an hour earlier, I would have liked it less because it is definitely less satisfying. Um and uh, the only thing I, I will say is this movie did not make me feel smart because I was like, what's a twist going to be? What's a twist? There really is no twist in this movie. The person that the main character suspects in the beginning, you know, like it kind of isn't a twist. There is that little supplemental twist, like I said, where it kind of mm-hmm. ends and then begins again. But really, the main twist of the movie is that there is no twist. Some things, sometimes things are just as strange as they seem. Um, and uh, I really appreciated that. I mean, it didn't make me feel smart. I didn't get to do any detective work and figure it out at the beginning. But uh, maybe that was a good thing. I would have gotten a big head. <laughs> all right. So, all right. On a scale from 1 to 10, and is, is this a uh, rent or a buy? Or, Trey, what's your rating and recommendation for Thesis? I would give Thesis a 9. Um, 
I really love this. Uh, it sits up there. I went into a blind that just sits up there as one of my favorite Spanish war films now. Mm-hmm. And I would absolutely recommend buying this um, if you can, if you're into that. So, yeah, great film. Absolutely. Jackson, what's your, what about you, buddy? I'm up there, not quite as high. I'm going 8 out of 10, but again, this is my first time watching it. I would mm-hmm. say this is tied with The Day of the Beast from my favorite uh, horror movie from Spain. Um, and it, it is, it, I, I, I don't know, I think this could benefit from a rewatch. I really, I really do think it could. So it might go up in the future. I'd say, actually, you know what, between an 8 and an 8.5, and I would say rent it, um, but if you like it, buy it, definitely. Yeah, and I, I, I'm right there with Trey. I'd give it a 9 out of 10. Uh, I call it a buy. If you can't easily find it to, to stream, I would blind buy it if you don't have to pay a fortune for it because I think it's a really, really um, strong film. When I ranked my favorite horror movies of 1996 on Letterboxd, this was number three uh, of the year behind Scream and The Frighteners and just ahead of From Dust Till Dawn. So I think it's a really strong pick. So listeners, let's turn to Spanish horror in general so um trey what do you think of spanish horror in general i mean are you fairly new to this you've been watching these for a while do you have any favorites what what do you think yeah i'm pretty fascinated with spanish horror and i've i've watched a good deal of spanish films Mm. um you know it's kind of they kind of got off to a late start with the whole you know spanish civil war not going their way and kind of being under dictator role for yeah oh until the late 60s 70s yeah. Um, but once they hit the ground running, I mean, we got things like um, The House That Screamed and mm-hmm. um, from Narciso Abana's Serador and his follow-up, Who Can Kill a Child. I like House That Screamed uh, Who Can a Kill a Child, better. yeah. Yeah. I don't think I don't think a lot of... Um, I was going through Letterboxd earlier, and I don't think a lot of these Spanish films... I mean, I just had like a handful of people I follow that had even seen a lot of these. Um, yeah, I haven't seen The House That Screamed all the way through. Is, is that worth checking oh. out all the way through? Yeah, it's incredible. It's uh, um, it and it kind of um influenced maybe a later, more popular Spanish film in the eighties, um, but it's definitely got that um, that European you know that Euro horror of the yeah. late sixties early seventies feel, um, and then the Tombs of the Blind Dead series as well. Um, I definitely recommend Tombs of the Blind Dead, which is the original film, um, okay. and if you make sure you do see that in Spanish with subtitles oh um, are, you, are you saying the dubbing leaves a little to be desired are you trey <laughs> oh they chop that movie up it's, oh <laughs> they cut out all the violence and anything it's it's just cut out and oh one thing i wanted to note is um it seems like a lot of times these days that we have you know movies that just can't come up with an interesting title in the 70s from spain we had you know the living dead at manchester morgue which was able to come up yes. with two with two really good titles that and um let sleeping corpses lie I yeah, didn't that's know a, The Living Dead of the Manchester Morgue was Spanish for some reason. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember loving that movie. Yeah, it's set in England, and it is an English language film, but it was directed by Jorge Grau, um, who is a Spanish filmmaker. So kind of like Pieces. is a Spanish director set in America, yep. shot in Spain. Okay. Yep, yep. Um, and then other than that, like anything by Alex de la Iglesia, I love, which uh, Jackson mentioned, the director of Day of the Beast. Mm-hmm. Um He's done several films uh, throughout the 90s and aughts, like Witching and Bitching and um, The Bar and The Last Circus. And then, uh, you know, we got the big ones like Wreck and The Orphanage yes. that came out in the mid 
2000s. Both strong films, yeah. Yeah, and I think that kind of started the boom of mm-hmm. that Spanish war because you had, you know, Del Toro was doing some Spanish collaborations with um, The Devil's Backbone and uh, yep. Pan's Labyrinth, yep. which were both set around that Spanish Civil War, which um, The Last Circus, which is also an Alex de la Iglesia film, also deals with that. So that you can tell it's a big thing in Spanish horror. But, I mean, we got things after Wreck and the Orphanage came out, like Julia's Eyes, The Skin yep. I Live In with Antonio Banderas. Oh, that's right. I'd forgotten about that. Yep. Yeah. Sleep Tight, which is kind of a maybe smaller film that I really love um, from the one of the directors of Wreck. Mm. Um, and then we have got Veronica too, which was I loved a great film. So, yeah, I mean, I really do love a lot of these Spanish films. I don't know what kind of draws me to it, but and I also believe uh, recently the platform was was I yes, think. yes, yeah, yep, yeah. You can actually go back, I think, six or seven decades, starting you know with the house that screamed, and there's been a notable Spanish horror film that's come out. Um, and you mentioned pieces from the eighties, you know, yeah. and we don't get that with a lot of countries, not that consistency. Very true. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely writing down the house of screams. I got to check that out all the way through. So Jackson, what about you thoughts on Spanish horror, buddy? Spain is, is definitely a powerhouse when it comes to horror. Um, I've seen wreck. I haven't seen Veronica. Um, but of course I love the day of the beast and uh, I want to get your opinion, Trey. Jesus Franco, his best film. What do you think of Vampiros Lesbos? What, what's, your, <laughs> what's your opinion on that? I have not seen Vampiros Lesbos. Oh, so you for got shame. You for got shame. There. You claim to be an expert, Trey. <laughs> I'm putting those words in your mouth. But oh, you claim to be an expert. You have not seen Vampiros Lesbos. I'm, I'm disappointed in you. And I have I, not. I have seen it, and shame on you, Jackson. Just shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it says uh, the 1971 horror erotic, so maybe not, uh, maybe not yeah. for general audiences. No, but uh, but I, I was Do not old, put that on your gateway horror list. No, no, <laughs> no. no, no. Your kids, you're the fun one. Uh, anyways, yeah, uh, and Pan's Labyrinth is also that's that's a fantastic one, and I always I guess I always assumed that would be considered a Mexican horror movie because of Guillermo del Toro, but it is a co-Spanish production. I mean, the people yeah. that work on it. And uh, that is definitely, I don't care what people say, there are definitely horror elements in this movie. People will call it a dark fantasy or whatever. It, it's it got strong horror elements in oh, it. Oh, there are um, strong horror elements in and it. Knowing, yeah. And knowing what Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro watches, you can you can see where his influences come from. So mm-hmm. um, definitely that that is a fantastic one. And I've got to see the others now that I know the, the director and what a great job he did here and Veronica. I did um, write down The House That Screamed. Uh, but, uh, I have no idea what it's about. Never seen anything. <laughs> so I guess I'm going in blind. Take uh, a guess from the title. No, yeah. just... <laughs> is, is it a house of screams? Is it monster no, house? No. You, you know, those seventies titles have nothing to do with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Very true. Yeah. Uh, so Spain is one that I'm not, I th- I'm a little bit more well acquainted with than I thought, because a lot of the movies that I like, they just so happen to be movies from Spain or from Spanish directors. So that's always, that's always a good thing when you don't have to seek it out. You're like, oh, these are just great movies that I enjoyed without seeking them out for the purpose of filling out my, my, uh, my watch list or whatever. So, um, yeah, definitely a great country and I can't wait to see what comes from them in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, great pick. And yeah, you're right. I just never, Trey, until you start talking, I never put the, uh, no pun intended, pieces together. 
about how <laughs> consistent the movies, horror movies from Spain have been. And yeah, here lately, they're, they're really pulling it. I, you know, I think they may be right behind South Korea right now as far as, you know, kind of quality of what they're and consistency, what they're putting out. So great pick. Uh, thank you so much for doing it. So now, Jackson, um, we turn to your pick. Um, uh, what is it and what country is it from? Well, okay, so the movie I'm going to be reviewing today, which I, I know all of you got the chance to see, uh -huh. uh, is Contact, or The Contact, also known as The Encounter, also known as Prikosnavinya in Russia. Hopefully I got that pronunciation right. I had one of my better than me. I'm glad I, you it. Well, I had one of my friends who, who speaks Russian coach me on it, but for all I know, that could have been for nothing. Anyways, the title translates simply to Touch in Russian, and this movie came out in 1992, uh, a year after the dissolution of the Soviet Union. And before I go any further, let me read the IMDb summary here and get your thoughts on that. A detective investigating a suicide case finds himself involved in the strange affairs of a family, exclamation mark. Uh, yes, that is at its core what this movie is about. Very vague, but I guess how couldn't you be without giving this movie away um, or ruining a little bit of the surprise? Um, so in this movie... Uh, again, I don't know if that was clear. There are so many alternate titles. The Encounter or The, yeah. the Contact, as the, as the opening titles say. Um, or if you want to be cool, Prikos Navinia. Um, so we immediately open in this movie on a woman discovering a grisly scene in her neighbor's apartment. Okay, A little boy mm -hmm. has been smothered in his bed and his mother mm -hmm. Olga has committed mm -hmm. suicide feet from him. I mean, the movie plunges you right into it, and I'm sure. Yeah, I'm and let me just stop you right there. Uh, this is a nice, rainy, almost fall-like afternoon here in Ohio yes. in the spring. Jackson, thank you for picking such an upbeat movie. Yes, um, absolutely. Lift your lift your spirits a little bit with this one. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it really does take no prisoners right off the bat. It's like this is what you're seeing now, and I can't be alone. I mean, this felt like Ari Aster, like specifically the opening to Midsummer. I mean, right with a a murder suicide right in the beginning. Um, and the entire movie feels like an Ari Aster familial horror movie. I'm people have compared it to Hereditary. I'm not the only one. Is that uh, how you found it? Yes, so I was okay. reading through an article about the history of Russian horror, and I saw this, and not much was written about it. Literally all that was written about it was that uh, it was kind of like Hereditary, so I was like, okay, I'll check this out. And uh, yes, indeed, it is, a, it is a lot like Hereditary in the fact that it is super depressing, and uh, <laughs> the, the entire movie is very dark. So, so here, let me break down the plot a little bit, okay? Go for it. Here's here's what we find out. Olga, the woman who uh, committed suicide and presumably smothered her child, was the daughter of a man who died years ago, and he's been haunting members of his family ever since, egging them on to commit suicide from beyond the grave. And and this family's all kinds of <laughs> messed up. I mean, the after the antagonistic mm -hmm. father died in an acid-related factory accident a year ago, a decade ago, um, the the family matriarch poisoned herself because she couldn't live without him. And then, of course, Olga's daughter killed herself and her son. Uh, this I don't know who that guy was. Was he the father of her child, the guy that hung himself after speaking with the detective? I couldn't yeah. keep up with it. Was that what it was, Trey? I couldn't yeah. keep up with it. Yeah. Okay. So the, the father of her child, of Olga, and the, the smothered child hangs himself after speaking with the detective um, only an hour earlier. And the, sur the surviving daughter of the family... Uh, reveals that she is also being haunted by her father, and she's got a little daughter. So, holy crap, <laughs> ticking time bomb. There's more wrong than right with this family, really. Um, and as the movie goes on and more is revealed, the whole thing it ends in an insane 
and depressing and more high budget fashion than I was expecting it to. Uh, hey, uh, uh, Jackson, can I just stop you there for one second? Just say go, one thing and then right I'll ahead. let you finish and turn it over to Trey. <clears throat> hey guys, this is Jackson from the future just popping in to say that we are about to spoil this entire movie without warning. And because it's so rare, I highly doubt you've seen it already. So if you're even a, a little interested in watching a post-Soviet familial horror movie uh, akin to Hereditary of the Sixth Sense, look up the IMDb page for the encounter from 1992, copy and paste the Russian title into YouTube with the keywords full movie, and, uh, you know, give it a try. It's in relatively good quality with uh, optional English subtitles. It's around 90 minutes long, so, again, check, check it out if you're at all curious, then come back and listen to us both compliment this movie and rip it a new one. Um, anyways, back to the episode and an immediate spoiler. You have been warned. Goodbye. Jackson, can I just stop you there for one second? Just say go, one thing, and then right I'll ahead. let you finish and turn it over to Trey. <clears throat> He shot the dog. Okay, we didn't have to go there. All right. Well, hold on. Let's talk I about. I didn't smoke. care if he shot himself, but leave Smock alone, man. Shall we talk about Smock? Okay, it has to be said. The detective's dog, um, uh, the main character's dog, Smock, as they call him, yes. is absolutely adorable. God it rest his soul. Sounds like uh, the name sounds like a vape pen, but go ahead. Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm assuming the real life dog that's played Smock has has passed on, unless he's still kicking it at thirty. And honestly, I wouldn't put it past him. But uh, there's a, there's a uh, there's a great interaction with him right right in the beginning of the movie. We know what their dynamic is. Um, so the detective, Andre, I think his name is, he gets home from his investigative work. He pets his dog, and then he gets a phone call. He picks up the phone. He listens for a second, hangs it up, and delivers the line, Life is wonderful and amazing. Well, doggy, our witness hanged himself. <laughs> and I think we should retroactively give the 1992 International Feature Film Oscar to this movie for that, for that line delivery alone. I mean, that was fantastic. And Smock is the best character in the movie, the most likable character in the movie, the only one that doesn't make you want to die throughout the entire thing. Uh, he is so sweet. I guess the little girl, Marina's daughter, and by the way, that's Olga's sister. There's a lot to keep track of in this movie, as you'll learn. <laughs> yes, there is. Olga's sister, Marina, and her daughter, Nastya, uh, they get into the detective's car after the funeral, and I love the little interaction between her and Smock. He's like, Oi, Mom, buy me one, too. Stupid, just like this one. <laughs> and the detective <laughs> says, Why stupid? Smock isn't stupid. And the little girl says, Oops, I meant kind. Aw. My, my, heart, my heart grew three sizes right there. Mm-hmm. And I could tell that old Smock, real Smock, the actor Smock, uh, was, was having the time of his life on that, on that uh, set. Let's not talk about the ending. Okay, let's not, let's not talk about that just yet. Um, because, and I don't want to spoil everything here. Because chances are you haven't heard or even seen this movie or, you know, unless you're Dr. Shock. You have not seen this movie. I can guarantee it because I can't find anything about it online. I couldn't um, find anything either. Maybe when you edit this, you go back and put a spoiler warning on this because this is the one movie people probably haven't seen. Yeah. So if we're, if we're going to put a spoiler warning there, why not just go into it? Uh, are we ready for that? Are we ready to dive if in? If we can. I, did, I didn't make a, a graph of all the characters to keep okay. up. But, but you, you go so, ahead and go for it. So uh, first of all, I want to say... There is a insane monologue, okay? The the detective Andre uh, uh, understands what's what's going to happen, okay? The the patriarch has been haunting the family members from their grave. Uh, he's been taunting them, telling them to kill themselves so that they can go on to quote a better place. Um, and uh, it, it's it's insane, okay? From there, everything pretty much goes downhill. 
pretty much he convinces i guess he convinces the patriarch to back off for a while while he and marina get married and then they go on a honeymoon and then they get assaulted by three weird gang guys out in the middle of the forest and then they come back and then the building collapses and then olga and her little daughter nastia are killed in a barrel explosion out of nowhere, and then the movie ends uh, as Andre the detective, shoots himself and his dog, as he said. Not in that mm-hmm. order. He shoots his dog and then himself. Yeah. And the movie ends, just like that. Uh, holy crap. <laughs> this is by far the most breakneck movie I have ever seen, but it doesn't feel like anything's really happening for the first 45 minutes other than the opening. You're like, okay, they're talking. Got I agree with the latter statement. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's like nothing happens, and then everything happens. Mm-hmm. And it gets real high budget. I don't know. It looks like the apartment building that gets demolished looks like the building they were in before. Were they shooting that and, and about to be demolished? I don't know what transfer you saw. It looked like a seventh grader put the building collapse in the transfer I saw. Okay, but <laughs> Sure, but but uh, I don't know. It, it seems a little like they were like, we need action at the end, okay? Let's have some barrel explosions. Let's have some gunshots, everything. Let's have a attempted mugging and pop possible rape scene which was really out of place um it's just it's so this movie is so weird and i'm i'm i i don't mean to sound like uh i i hated this movie i'm so glad i watched this okay this is not one of those situations where i'm like well that's an hour and a half i'll never get back on my life i am so glad i watched the encounter or contact or the contact or pre-course novenia because this movie changed my life forever because now i realize that movies it, movie making is not a restrictive art form okay Okay. If you can make Precos Navinia, you can make anything because this movie is absolutely insane. Somebody sat down, wrote this movie, shot this movie, and thought, let's send it out. All right, it's done. Oh my gosh. I, and I, this okay. was the director's last movie, by the way. But This anyway. was the director's last <laughs> movie. Not surprising to anyone. Uh, and again, I don't mean to sound like I hated it. I liked this movie. I actually enjoyed this movie. I was having a good time with it. The only thing that really sat wrong with me was the way that Smock was handled. Um, because he, w- and, and the little girl too, I mean, come on, let those two live. But anyways, uh, Trey, I want to get you weighing in on this yeah. one because I know you watched this movie and you said, oh boy, do we have a lot to talk about? So <laughs> I want to hear you weigh in on the things we've, we've talked about. Um, because I'm sure you have, you have something to say and possibly some comments directed towards me for suggesting this one. <laughs> well, first of all, big smock fan, big smock fan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> How could she? <laughs> Did not like the way he went out, though. No. Um, the second half, let's get the kind of maybe some negative things out of the way first. The second half of this movie is a train wreck. Yep. <laughs> it is just like a series of like disconnected vignettes that are just going from place to place. Absolutely. And it's, but it's not, it's not a terrible thing. It kind of reminded me maybe of like a lower tier Giallo, maybe from the 70s. <laughs> kind of, it's all over the place and, you know, they're fighting those guys on that cliff and the guy just like jumps 12 feet in the air when he throws him. <laughs> and that fall from the cliff as well. It's just like there's so many moments in that. Oh, my God. Where it's just like, what is going on? But I think there's a good story here. I think there's a good story buried in in what's here. And I wouldn't mind seeing something like this revisited. Um, I Yeah, go ahead. I was just wondering, Trey, just real quick before you go on, 
because I think you're right. I, I'm I'm with you. I'm, and, and Jackson, I'm giving you a hard time. I am glad I saw this, <laughs> but I, I agree with Trey. I think it's, I think it's a, other than a little slow at times. I think the ending's kind of a mess. But it in the hands of a skilled director, and I was thinking, man, this is something that Del Toro could tackle. What do you think, Trey? Is my am, am I off? Yeah. No, I don't think you're too far off. I mean, there's some good bones to this story. Like, there's mm-hmm. I like. I like the beginning. I mean, sometimes, like Jackson said, it's a little like kind of those cuts are really fast and it's going from one thing to another. You don't have time to like um, take anything in. And I think there's some bad effects, you know, with the ghost earlier on in the movie. It's <laughs> yeah. bad. Oh, boy. But one thing I thought was pretty um, creepy, but they don't spend much time on it, was the um, early on, you know, the guy that hung himself and the detective are talking in the park and there's that woman and he looks over and she's just smiling at him. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty creepy and pretty effective, much more than a lot of the stuff that would come later. But um, I think the story and the even I didn't even mind some of the characters and stuff in this. I mean, I think that story in better hands, like you were saying, that could be maybe something really big. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think that the underlying story, the premise anyway, I think is is pretty strong. These kind of familiar ghosts who are saying basically you know come with us either because we want you here or because trust me that world sucks and kind of going with that and and debating that and going through i think there's something there that a skilled director could could do well but yeah i i also agree with you i just thought it was so weirdly edited and you know things like you know and even like, okay, the creeper who comes up and wants to pat the little girl's head, you know, while he's wearing like the Mickey Mouse shirt and just looking like, you know, somebody who just literally dateline, you know, is looking to snag. <laughs> and, you know, and so he, you know, he flips him and he does like that Bruce Lee crouching tiger move where he just, you know, throws him, like you said, 20 feet. And then we pan up and he's got two buddies who look like, and by the way, these three guys are not hanging out together in any universe ever, other than they shop at the same Jersey mall for their clothes. <laughs> um, it's, it's just weird. It's just strange. Um, and I was going to say something about that, Matt. And I'm almost wondering if this may be what I don't think it was, but I think that's after the scene at the grave where he's like, you know, we'll kill anyone. We'll do anything. Just leave us alone right. and all this it's- stuff. I'm one. I part of me thought when he throws that guy that oh this this is the father possessing this guy, this mm. is him um, kind of putting his powers in there. I don't think that's necessarily what they were going for, especially the way it ended. Uh, I, don't I don't know. I wouldn't count. I wouldn't count it out because know. here I I think this movie is a little bit more intentional than than you're giving it credit for. And you mentioned the part at the beginning where where you see the the random lady smiling. That wasn't a random lady. That was Olga. That was, was the that lady really? who committed suicide in the beginning. Ah. And then you see her again after the building collapses. She's sitting with her son by the fire. You see the fire illuminated and she's sitting there. So there is a little bit of intention there. And then Marina at one point says she feels her father's presence in the room and that her father can possess yeah. her. I don't think it's far off to say that he possessed well, him in that part and that his will was broken down in that moment. He let his anger get a hold of him, and then the father took hold of him and threw the, the guy off because he was trying to, I don't know, what, what was going on. He but maybe I didn't think want... it, I don't know, I, 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 I don't see him being possessed to the phone rings. Um, that seems to be, quote unquote, the touch when he gets the phone call and then he decides to kill the dog and himself. If I'm looking at kind of rules and... 
the deceased, you know, woman who's smiling at him seems to be more of an omen of something bad's about to happen. Um, And so that's how I saw that. And two things real quick, you know, Trey, you brought up the scene where he goes to the grave and he's like, look, I, I'll be a horrible person, you know, I guess in order to fit into this, the way you see this world, I'll, I'll just be a terrible person. Um, it would, it, to me, it would have been more powerful if instead of you have these three creepers, you just have a nice guy come up and, and just say, Oh, what a cute girl. And he just goes off on him for no reason in order to follow through with that promise or something. That, sure. that to me would have been more powerful, Jackson. You disagree? Well, I have a couple things to say. First of all, you say that you don't think that uh, Andre was possessed until the end. And I think he could have been possessed twice. And then because you remember Marina speaks, her father speaks through her and then comes out of her at one point. So you can be possessed and unpossessed. And I think that he just his will was so broken down after Marina uh, uh, died that he let the father take over him fully. And I think that that's when the smock scene happens and and everything. But uh, and I definitely agree that it could have been that it it might have been more interesting if it was just a random hiker and he had gone off on him, like yeah. fulfilling the father's wishes. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't I I still that scene is definitely the worst in the movie. And and the, the, there is definitely some weird editing choices. It feels like there's footage missing. Like the the parts where they're together and then they're married, it's like that, like instantaneously. It's like a time leap. It, it mm-hmm. does feel a little weird and choppy. Um, but I think there is a great story there. And I, I, I honestly do think that it is disturbing. The thought is disturbing. That what are they called? Forzies? That these these, yeah. Uh, these yeah. ghosts come back to try to lure them into the next life. And I, I think that is an interesting idea. And that picture of the patriarch but, by the way, is oh, so creepy. Yeah. yeah, that is creepy. I will give you that. The picture of the father is is creepy. They picked a good you know guy for that photo. Mm-hmm. And his, he's got that intensity in his eyes and everything. But Forzies, I mean, it sounds like some kind of bad trend among internet memes <laughs> or something. Maybe I don't know. I think it's interesting, and and it's I mean it's it's a Russian thing, so I don't know. Maybe maybe there's some meaning there, but I I I do think that this movie is goofy. All right, it has goofy moments mm-hmm. in it. The ghost in that one part where he's sitting with his friend and they're <laughs> drinking vodka, I think, or he's about to drink vodka after he's yeah. a ghost. It does look really silly, and we get some crazy ghost POV shots that are fisheye. Oh man, it is it it is a weird movie. You can tell they were tr- they're throwing everything at the wall, but I think there is some really interesting stuff in here, and I honestly wouldn't mind a remake. I think a remake could be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, even put it back in the hands of a Russian director. You know, this is yeah. from their homeland. Give them and give them a shot. But um, there is something interesting here, and I think definitely if it was a little more artful, if they had given them a little more time with the pacing, and they hadn't just rushed everything at the end because the thing is the first half feels so slow it feels like that's Mm -hmm. where it should have been trimmed down and the second half should have been drawn out a little bit they just got it all mixed up but um if and i don't blame them i mean as we're going to talk about with the russian history of film there wasn't a whole lot of like in the way of film schools or or instruction so they were kind of just figuring this out as they went most likely i mean they probably just seen promotional videos and propaganda and stuff so as far as feature films go, this is pretty impressive, I feel like. And uh, and though it's true that he didn't go on to make anything else, uh, which I'm not surprised by, because this is a little off-putting, especially with the way it opens. Um, I don't know. I, st- I still enjoyed it, and I will give it a positive rating. All right. Trey, what you say about uh, what do you have to say about what Jackson just gave there? Yeah, no. Um... Jackson, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit and get your thoughts on a couple of things, if that's okay. 
um, being that you are, you know, future filmmaker, current filmmaker, really. Mm-hmm. And um, also musician part of you. So there's two pieces. You did talk about the fisheye lenses and there's kind of that, you know, that almost star filter, cross filter on the lighting in some of these yeah. places. And it's meant to disorient and all that. Um, and I wanted to get your thought on how well that kind of played out. Uh, maybe what you would have done there. And then the other piece about the music is, uh, you know, when Nastya um, is about to jump there on the staircase, there's this kind of goofy, like xylophone music that's going mm-hmm. on. <laughs> and <laughs> I just want to know what your thoughts were on that as well. I don't know. So first of all, I want to talk about, I think you're talking about like when somebody dies and you see like the ambulance going through the tunnel, maybe with like the bright lights that are kind of reflecting through the camera lens and stuff. You know, honestly, I was very confused about what that was in the beginning, but I think at the end, I think the last shot after Andrew kills himself, I honestly think that's like him going to the next realm. I think that's his spirit traveling, the ghost traveling. And that put that in perspective. I was like, are all those shots earlier of what I thought was like an ambulance going through a tunnel? Is that the spirit of like the, the souls escaping to the next realm to be with the father? I That that could be something I don't know. And as far as the, the music goes, especially in the scene where Nastia is about to jump like a little bird, uh, I think the intention wasn't necessarily to make, like, good soundtrack. It was really just to, like, overload your senses. It's like, so much is going on right now, you're just like, ah, what's going on? I think that was the point. Not necessarily to, like, compose a, a really well-made piece, but kind of just to be like, ah, this is happening. Um, and worst wedding music Yeah, ever. okay, sure. <laughs> the, yeah, the, that whole thing with the wedding and the, the party they have afterwards is so weird. Um, it does feel a little after out of place, but I, I honestly think that there is a little bit of, you know, there's some craftsmanship here. Some thought was put into it. Um, and, uh, everything does sort of tie together, uh, which is impressive because it doesn't seem that way upon, upon first glance. Um, but as far as the filmmaking goes, um, you know, the acting isn't mind-blowing as far as I can tell, the language barrier. There is, you know, the main detective guy, I don't think he's bad. There's one part where he's talking to his friend, you know, before the ghost appears to him, and the camera kind of moves, and the guy holding the camera, you can tell it's just like a camcorder because it's shaking around and everything. But he didn't break scene. He's really into it, that guy, and I kind of respected that. Um, of course, the dialogue is exposition-heavy. Marina's basically exposition machine. This is what happened to my family. And and you could say that same thing about Hereditary. You're like, oh, well, Tony Collette did that. But that was, you know, she was oversharing at a, at a meeting. So it makes sense for her character. Um, but so, yeah, the writing isn't necessarily the greatest from a dialogue perspective. Uh, not the best sound mixing either. I don't know if you guys noticed this, but uh, it, it'll, like, cut, and the audio will cut with it, too, and there'll be, like, white noise in the back. It's, it's uh, definitely they recorded on-set noise is, my, is the point. They didn't try to, to work on that at all. Um, the soundtrack, uh, I think it served the movie well in a couple places. It was a little ridiculous, but uh, there are some parts with, like, strings and stuff that, I don't know, maybe stock. They might, might have licensed it from somewhere, but if it's for the movie, I think it, it serves the movie pretty well. Um, and uh, cinematography, everything is in frame. Like I said, you can tell it's handheld a lot of the time, but uh, they're working with what they had. Again, this was this seems like it was a low-budget uh, underground operation. And uh, yeah, so just from a technical aspect, this is very... This is very visually and auditorily very amateur. Feels sort of like a, a student film, maybe a step above that. But the story is really disturbing, and there are layers to it. I think there are character motivations and everything. It, it does make sense if you think about it. It's just not executed in the best way. 
All right. So what else do we want to say before we rate and review this thing and talk a little bit more about Russian horror? Any further thoughts, uh, Trey? Yeah. Um, I just want to, like, I'm not, <laughs> I know we've said a lot of negative about this film. Mm-hmm. We kind of beat up on it. But, you know, when I say, like, it needs to be remade in better hands and stuff, I don't think the movie's just completely void of good moments. And no, I, I really like the piece um, at the beginning when they're in their park. And I think he pulls a jump rope out of his pocket and he says, here's your contact or something. Mm-hmm. I think that's very kind of like an ominous thing to say. And I think that's a very ominous scene. And um, that opening, it had, I mean, that's a pretty strong opening to kind of set a dark mood for a film. So yeah. um, I know we've been beating up on it, but I don't think, you know, yeah, I mean, the film I, whole was... Yeah, I agree with you. I think there are some strong scenes here. And like we said earlier, I think there is, you know, buried underneath some bad edits and a few strange choices. I think there you could extract from this a good filmmaker could extract a really strong film. Um, I really like the scene where he's at the father's grave. And I love the ingenious way they got around that with a low budget, which was taking over the PA system where he kind of, you know, possesses the PA system. I thought that scene was really strong. There are some strong scenes here. I agree. Yeah. And that grave, that grave scene, that is definitely the best acting in the movie. I think that monologue going back and forth and the editing in that part is pretty strong too. how the, you know, the, the PA system from the railroad is talking back to him and it's so perfectly timed and everything. It is that, that scene was really great. And again, if they just delivered on that promise he makes that he's going to do whatever to keep Marina alive, you know, he's going to be terrible. If they delivered on that, it would have been, you know, even better. It would have been even more meaningful. So um, yeah, it, it is. It, there are great scenes in this. And I mean, one I think of is the old factory worker when the detective is talking to the old factory worker talking about the accident. And he's talking about the, the, the acid spilling out and soaking through and it permanently disfigures his hand and he shows his hand. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really captivating. It was really cool. Of course, the camera's shaking around and everything, but <laughs> it, the, right. the acting and the line delivery in that part was was pretty good, I thought. So, yeah, definitely. If they if they had just had more of a budget, more equipment, and they had been given maybe an editing lesson, I feel like this could have been a fantastic movie that more people would know about. But as it is, it's just really hard to f- track down and find it. I think YouTube is the only way you can get it unless you travel to Russia and get a VHS tape or something. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think more people should know about this movie. I think a, a remake could be a good idea. And, I think uh, you found your first film, Jackson. Uh, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> that, that's, that's my debut feature is a remake of The Encounter, also known as Contact, also known as The Contact, also known as Precoast Novenia. Uh, maybe I'll simplify the title a little bit. but uh, Please. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. There is a great story here, like Trey said. Yeah. And, it, yeah, definitely – it is it it's good okay i would go so far as to hey, say I, it's good. like i it's, said there's some good scenes and i think the premise is strong I it's agree probably the worst movie we're, we'll talk about tonight but uh you know they they tried okay and i think they turned out something that's admirable yeah and it's low budget and so mm-hmm. but uh trey what else do you want to mention about this anything else no i had just forgotten about the factory scene yeah um, and seeing the guy's hand and everything when he pulls away and it's it's kind of confusing at first because he's talking about his hand. I'm thinking he's talking about the father and everything, but he's he's really talking about himself. And yeah, no, I really like that scene. And I really do think there's some strong points to this film. So like Jackson was saying. I agree. So Jackson, do you have anything else in your notes before we move on and talk about Russian horror and rate and recommend this sucker? I'm I'm ready to rate it. I'm 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 gonna tally no longer and go over the same points or, or anything. I'm I'm just I'm ready to rate it, and I think my rating's gonna be higher than than you suspect. So I'm I'm looking forward to your reactions. 
All right. So it's your pick. You go first. What is your rating and recommendation for whatever you want to call this with its different <laughs> titles? I'm going to give Precos Navinia a 7.5 out of 10. Okay. Um, and I'm going to say that if there were, if, if only one thing was improved, this could be an easy 8 out of 10 for me. And don't forget, I gave the previous movie we discussed between an 8 and an 8.5. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy this movie. Um, it's just, uh, and I, the fact that I feel I need to defend it makes me feel a little bit well, stronger about I, but it. I, I, I feel a little I'm, bit more close to it. I'm excited that you're defending it because I, I think that as an aspiring filmmaker, I think what you're, one of the reasons you're excited about it may be, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think one of the reasons you're excited about it is what Trey and I have been talking about. There is a strong premise here. There is a great, good Absolutely. movie to be mad out of this. I, I really... And, think this whole yeah. idea of familiar spirits trying to lure you into suicide homicide suicide because this world sucks and the other side is supposedly better and come on over and stuff and fighting against that and dealing with that and debating that i think there's a lot there i agree yeah and that's exactly why i like it and it, it just i love the idea of a good concept for a movie and no matter how bad the movie is or you know i wouldn't even say this movie is bad but no matter how the the shortcomings of the movie you can acknowledge that it's a great premise and that something yeah. should be done with that premise and the people that made up this this idea for this movie and i don't know maybe this is a a folkloric thing maybe this is a common idea um but it it really did it did grab me and it felt very original so that that is definitely part of the reason why i'm so lenient on it or so positive on it because i feel like they had a good idea and they just decided to make the movie you know like that that i always admire that no i absolutely agree my you know i i know that hollywood likes to remake already successful horror films because they already have basically a built-in audience and it doesn't cost them as much to market it but you know as just a fan as a film fan I want them to take strong premises that didn't have the budget or whatever to pull it off and, and, and run with it. So I'm, you know, yeah, I'm not as high as, as you, but I do agree. The premise is, is very strong. I do like the actor who played the detective. I I thought he was very good. Um, I thought the person they picked to play, you know, the deceased father was incredibly, you know, creepy. Um, He definitely has that hundred yard stare thing going on. Um, And so, and and I love smock. So, um, I, I, you know, I would go 5.5 to a six and say, give it a shot because it's on YouTube for free. You know, mm-hmm. it's probably the international rights are probably just a free for all. So Trey, what say you, what do you think of it? Yeah, I'm coming in, uh, same place you are, Matt. I'm coming in a six and I would mm-hmm. say this isn't like something that's a slog or it's going to be like punishment to watch it. It's a pretty good film. And it's pretty interesting and entertaining at the very least. Yeah. I really like the mystery part at the beginning. And, you know, just what you were saying about the the remaking of films, maybe we'd have, you know, a higher percentage of wins with these remakes if we remade films that maybe just needed a little work. There was something there yeah. that they just needed a little work. And I think this is one of these films. I think it's um, an enjoyable film to watch. There's pretty good elements in it. There's some creepy elements in it. So, yeah, I'd recommend streaming this on YouTube. Absolutely. So... Let's talk about Russian horror films real quick. Jackson, what do you have to say about Russian horror films? We know that because we've had our voting over on Patreon and a lot of love being given to a Russian horror film from this last year. So and I know you've been reading up on this a little bit. So run with it. Tell us a little bit about Russian horror. So, yeah. So my movie is from Russia, obviously. So I decided to do a little uh, light research and uh, put it in historical context. And I did this before I watched the movie because I just, um, I don't know, I wanted to know what to expect. And 
what I learned basically is that uh, tragically, it seems like a lot of ideas that people had would never come to light because yeah. of the Soviet Union's regulation on artistic expression. Uh, I found a great article by, uh, let's see if I can do this, Olga Sinitsinia. I think that's how you say her name, Sinitsinia. Anyways, uh, this article is called Censorship in the Soviet Union and its Cultural and Professional Results for Art and Art Libraries. So there you go. That's not a mouthful. Mm -hmm. um, and this was written in 1998, so six years after the movie I'm discussing and a decade after um, Soviet media censorship was officially abolished, um, or so they say. But she writes that, you know, since USSR citizens were first forced to censor themselves and what they were doing, right. for many years after the Soviet Union had collapsed, it was still difficult to, like, reintegrate into modern pop culture. Um, because, you know, horror movies uh, were the biggest no-no you could possibly have. Uh, because, and this is a, this is a quote from uh, Ms. Sinitsnya. Uh, according to Soviet regulation, horror films fell under propaganda of fascism, violence, or terror. Pornography, which she writes was a magic word, none of the censors could ever give a distinct definition of this term in their special vocabulary. And finally, it fell under themes, subjects, facts, and events which caused or might have caused undesirable thoughts, associations, or illusions not in favor of the Soviet state. So three big no-nos for uh, horror movies. So right. as far as I know, no real straight horror movies in the traditional sense were made in the Soviet Union from the 20s to the 60s. Now, I have heard tell of dramas and experimental films uh, in the late 60s and early 70s that had some horrifying imagery and scenes in them, like the 1967 film V, which is right. directed by Konstantin Yershov. That's often cited. Um, and Sam Newman of Creepy Catalog called that the first and only horror movie made in the USSR. But from what I can find, I think the intent of that movie wasn't to scare. It's adapted from a Ukrainian folk story. Um, and I guess it is to scare in the same sense of like a like a Grimm's bro Brothers fairy tale or whatever. And it looks more fantastical and experimental, you know, than horrifying or creepy. Um, and, of course, since it's based on an old folk story, it's not as controversial uh, as like a straight horror movie. But, um, you know, of course, this, the grip of the Soviet Union uh, would loosen a little bit on the arts in the 80s. Um, I think everybody knows that the Berlin Wall fell in 89 and that the USSR officially dissolved in, in late 91. Uh, and during that reconstruction period where so much of Europe was rebuilding, a minor kind of artistic renaissance started to happen, even in horror movies. Um, and I have a list here. We have Stray Dogs in 1989, The Vampire Family in 1990, and then a bunch in 1991. Uh, Daddy, Father, Frost is Dead, Le Mui, and Time of Darkness. Um, just to name a few. And of course, since, um, since then, we've gotten a lot of great Russian horror movies, many of which have, have traveled over here. Um, most recently, Sputnik, which was yeah. in my top 10 of 2020. I think that was number seven for me. And yeah, getting love on our Patreon polls for a horror Oscar. So um, Russia is an interesting, interesting uh, nation to study. Because for so long, there was a, a restriction on what you could or could not film and release. Um, and so I'm sure so many great ideas were just shot down. And uh, we could have seen so many great uh, horror films coming from Russia. And I know Spain had sort of a similar thing, uh, but with censorship of foreign movies. Yeah, and, by Franco uh, and others, yeah. yeah. Right. So uh, it's just, it's, it is a real shame that so much culture was, was lost, so many ideas 
And I, I, I can almost guarantee we would have had some classics coming out of Russia, like from the 50s and 60s and stuff. Um, that, that would have been really cool. I want to see a Russian 50s B-movie, horror movie. That would have been fantastic. <laughs> um, but you know, the closest we get is something like Sputnik now. And um, yeah, it's well, just, and, the, it, and the irony is, I think you're right, because the irony is if you go back and you study the silent film era uh, back when I was a film student, the majority of, with the exception of comedies, um, which uh, America and Britain kind of had a lock on, um, the really great silent films seemed to be coming out of Russia before the communist revolution. Right. And so, and even, even after for a little bit until Stalin took control. And so, <clears throat> yeah, there was, a, there was a thriving art scene until Stalinism kind of came crashing down on, on the country. Yeah, and 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 um, yeah, and that is so tragic because um, if it would have continued developing the way it was, Russians could have been a huge film exporter. They could have been a major force. But it's just it just goes to show that that you know change of management basically derailed that forever. Um, but but recently they have been catching up. You know we've we've gotten a lot of great yeah. ones. Um, obviously there were some under the Soviet Union like Sol Solaris or Solaris. Um, yeah. That's a classic. And Stalker, that's another mm -hmm. one. Um, but, uh, and, and recently, you know, they, but they have been catching up with like indie stuff. Like you have Baba Yaga, which I know Dr. Shock yep. really liked. Yep. Um, and Devil's Pass. Um, it's, it is, they, they are catching up. More voices are being heard. So that's fantastic. And um, it, it is, it's odd because in many ways, Russian culture is not that dissimilar from ours uh, nowadays. And even back then, I mean, these people wanted to make, movies that just weren't allowed and i was talking to trey about this public library libraries during the ussr's you know uh, institution they weren't public they were only public to approved government officials not even all government right. officials so how could you improve your filmmaking how could you learn if the film schools you were going to were treating treating you how to make propaganda movies and the, the libraries were restricted so you couldn't no encyclopedias, no internet, no. So how are you going to improve? Which is why I find something like um, The Contact so interesting. I mean, because this is really, you're seeing um, something totally original. And yeah, uh, yeah it's just, it's, it's so, it's, it is really sad. That's the major takeaway for me is just uh, movies. The Another reason why I'm so um, lenient on pre- Kosnovinia, there we go, I got it, I forgot for a second, is because it's one of the ones we saw. You know, it, it is one of the, yeah. because this was, I'm sure this was being written during the USSR, you know, while the USSR was still around. So, I don't know. That, that's all I have to say on the matter. Um, I'd be interested in hearing You don't, you don't, you, you're, you are uh, for separation of totalitarianism and art, <laughs> is what you're saying. So. Yeah, who isn't? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, except for maybe Stalin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, absolutely. Don't impede on artists' vision. I think censorship in any form, unless it's like inciting people to cause violence, I think censorship in any form is a little ridiculous, especially with art. Um, but yeah, I mean, come on, let people make horror movies. That's it's, 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 it'll keep people out of the streets. You know, it'll keep real life violence from, <laughs> it'll stop that from happening. If you just let people watch a slasher or two, you know? There you go. Um, so yeah, so, that, those are my thoughts on the matter. Trey, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was really glad when, um, Jackson said he was going to tackle Russia here because I, there's just not that much history in Russia, and it's because it was just silenced. And there, I think there are parallels, like you were saying, Jackson, between, you know, Franco's Spain and Stalin's Russia. And it's just, you know, cut down on the arts. You're not allowed to say certain things or do certain things. And it's 
why would you even want to make a film if someone's, you know, picking it apart on everything? You're not allowed to say what you want to say. It's just, I think it's something we just really take for granted here. Um, we have this freedom to make any kind of movie or any kind of subject matter we really want to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you may get a bad rate. You might not get rated or something like that or released in theaters, but you can put that film out in other avenues. And I'm really interested to see more films from Russia, especially, I think they have a pretty good, um, like a mythological, mythological like background yeah. stuff, especially yeah. with like something like Baba Yaga. I've got to see that film because that's, that's a pretty cool uh, mythos. And I just want to see more from, Russian film directors. Yeah, me too. And I was, yeah, I haven't seen uh, uh, that yet either. I want to. I want to see V as well, and I haven't. Um, but I, I was truly blown away by Sputnik. It didn't make my top 10 list. It did make my honorable mentions. I had some problems with the CGI, but other than that, I, I was really impressed because Sputnik was not even a big budget movie, but it looked really good. The acting was really solid. And so, did you see Sputnik, Trey? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, like with you, it kind of fell out of my top 20. I think it's around there and around the top 20 or so. But yeah. yeah, I really love the film. I mean, it's it's a really good sci-fi film, and there's some really creepy moments in that film. And Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Jackson, anything else you want to talk about Russian horror films before we move on to our last segment? Uh, no, just that I am very, uh, I'm, I'm the, I'm the opposite of disappointed, whatever that is relieved, uh, because I'm looking into it and it seems like there's also been a renaissance in Russian B movie horror now straight to DVD Good. stuff. So I'm going to be able to catch up on that, get the, that, uh, wish fulfillment there. It's not going to be black and white 50 stuff, but, uh, I'm, I'm definitely interested in mermaid lake of the dead. So I'm definitely going to be watching that, um, because I'm sure hey, why that not? would be fantastic. Yeah. Why not? So, folks, it's my turn, and we are going to look to Indonesia, and we will begin by talking about a film that gained wide release last year thanks to Shudder. We're talking about Impedigore. So in Pedagore, the IMDb synopsis reads, uh, Maya with her best friend, Dini, uh, tries to survive in a city without a family. Uh, she realized that she might inherit a property from her rich family. So Maya returns to the village with Dini and unaware of the danger that is awaiting her. Uh, not too bad for IMDb. Uh, the director is Joko Anwar, who also helmed the remake of Satan Slaves a few years ago that... Uh, Got a lot of praise from Dr. Shock and myself and, and others. The title basically means inherited violence. Um, it has a strong, strong opening, in my uh, opinion, uh, reminiscent of uh, the best segment of John Carpenter's Body Bags, uh, the opening thing there. It is long. It's a little, it is a long film, a little bit of a slow burn, but I love the sense of dread through it. There is a twist. I think the performances are strong. I think the direction is tight. So I love this film. I think it is criminally underseen. I, I hear a lot of people on horror podcasts and a lot of people saying they can't wait to see it, but then they don't see it. Um, and I wish more people had seen it before they made out their top 10 lists. I, because I really think this is a good movie. So like I said, we have these two friends. They're poor. They're working in the city. But, you know, you have Maya and Maya knows that, you know, she's got this 
property that her parents didn't want to talk about. Her parents are gone. She returns to the property, finds out pretty quickly the village is not, they want her, but they don't like her. Um, uh, and just so if you haven't seen this, stop right now again, go watch it on Shudder. I promise you it's worth it. And we find out that the villagers believe that her family has laid a curse upon the village where basically they can't have children or normal children and they have to sacrifice her. And so it quickly turns into her and her friend being on the run and, and some terrible things happen. There's a twist at the end. Guys, I absolutely love this movie. What do you think of in Pedagore? Trey? Oh, Matt, I have been screaming from the rooftops for people to see this. Anyone who will listen, I've been screaming at them since July, since last July, you know, see yeah. in Pedagore, see in Pedagore. And, you know, Indonesia has come in kind of like a freight train, right? Yeah. They just came out of nowhere and they've just been killing it. And in Pedagore is such a, maybe it's a little slow. It certainly has a really pulse pounding beginning there. Yeah. Um, but I really like getting the backstory to this village and what happened and the backstory with this woman, the backstory with this woman. And yeah, oh, it's just incredible. All right, Jackson, what say you? I know this is a first time watch for you. You know, Trey saw it last uh, last summer. I saw it last summer. You just saw it this week, correct? Yeah, I am one of those people that made their top 10 list before seeing it. Uh, and that that is unfortunate. You know, I think this this did, this would have made my honorable mentions. Um, and it is it is very um, it builds red really well, especially the opening scene. I actually think the opening scene and the closing are my favorite parts of the movie. Yeah, Um Except maybe maybe that part where uh, where grandma's hanging out something to dry. <laughs> we'll talk about that later, I'm sure. <laughs> but that I found that really funny. Anyways, uh, it it is it is fantastic. It it is um, hour forty around there, and it's paced yep. so well. Um, got a really bold soundtrack that I think works well uh, for it. Really well written and acted, and especially Maya. Or I don't know if we want to give away the twist, but Maya, we'll just call her. Um, uh, she, I thought she was fantastic, and um, you you really are with her along the entire time. Even though this is something that you can never find yourself in, this is not a situation you'd find yourself in. You can empathize with her completely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, and yeah, you, she's everyone's... just trying to make a better life for herself, right? Absolutely. I mean, she's yeah. she's yeah. living for in her and her friend. And she just wants to, yeah, and, and for her friend. It's yeah, she's she's going to help her friend out too. It's not you know a selfish. Uh, motive. I do think the pacing is hers. It takes a little while to get there. I thought the bus ride and stuff took a little long. And, you know, I, I think this could have been cut down to about an hour and a half. But that being said, man, when this gets going, it gets going. And I, I agree with you, Jackson. Uh, Tara Basro is the actress playing Maya. She was also in Satan's Slaves. Um, and, you know, it, 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 as she was Rennie in, in Satan's Slaves. But I think she gives us, I think everyone gives a straight, really great performance. Um, Trey, what do you think about the acting? Oh, yeah. And I really haven't seen one of these Indonesian films that I've thought the acting was bad in. It's like, it's yeah. just so, it's so great how these actors are just so solid. And there's not really a weak link in the, in the bunch. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So, Jackson, you on board for that? 
Yeah, absolutely. The whole cast was great. And actually, my one of my favorite uh, actors in the movie was the cart driver guy. And we only <laughs> see him in that one scene, really. Yeah. But he was really yeah. fun. And uh, yeah, just kind of showing. I was kind of hoping he would show up at some point, but uh, nope. It doesn't seem like. Uh, doesn't seem. I, I'm glad he didn't. Maybe he would have been shot in the head if he had. But uh, but yeah, he was great. So. Um, and and this is I this is my first Indonesian movie I think, um, but oh, of course, I, yeah I'm pretty sure. It, um, oh, plus there's got like it. A, you got to see Satan Slaves and May the Devil Take You and One and Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. May, maybe there's one that I'm not thinking of, but I think, but this movie really did. It did catch me by surprise. I don't think it moves slow. Honestly, in my opinion, I think it was paced perfectly. And that bus ride part that was that was probably the, one of the scariest parts in the movie. Mm-hmm. That when that part looks back, that guy looks back, and you're like, oh man, what's going on here? And the whole thing with the bag I and like everything. That. Actually. I actually thought that was one of the creepiest images in the movie. Mm-hmm. You're like, you're re- really unsure of what he's going to do. Um, and I think that the cinematography in this really helps a lot. I mean, it uses contrast and like black levels to really build dread because you can't mm-hmm. read people very well when they're in the shadows. Um, like, like that one part where Maya is walking, you know, past the, are, th- are they storage containers or like um, yeah. uh, kiosks or whatever? And she sees these like nun-looking people, and I was like, "Oh, this like," and you can't see them at all. Uh, and then there's the dolls and everything. The use of shadows is just really fantastic. So the lighting and cinematography is great. And I thought this was going to be more of like a dread-building thriller without any blood mm-hmm. or anything, because I wrote at one point in this movie, the violence in this movie is mostly implied, but still feels really graphic. And then I put edit at fifty-two fifteen. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Of we get we get a very graphic scene, you know, yes. right right then and there. Um, but, uh, yeah. And I just, I just got to say this movie begs the question, how many women in a small Indonesian village can go into labor in a single week? Holy cow. <laughs> There's like five or I six. Know. <laughs> oh, that's, a, like... that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair point. But then again, what else are you going to do in that village? Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, where I said the dread, it was like, you know, for example, when her best friend is at the house and the guys show up. And even when they're walking, you're just like that. Even before they start walking, it's like as soon as they show up, the looks on their face, it just hit me. It's like, oh, this is going to end badly. And then it goes from dread to suspense. Um, And then and we really have some suspenseful moments here, not just at the beginning, but then, you know, when Maya is on the run. I loved that sequence. Yeah, definitely. And I love that scene where they show up at her door and Dini is there. And yes. you can tell yep. they're 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 real. They're trying to be nice, you know, and they're trying to put up that front. But you can tell they're real nervous. They're you know they're they're and and that moment where do we want to spoil this movie? I I, I don't know. Yes, if, I if gave warning. So it. we I gave okay. they could stop and go watch this movie and come back. Yeah. Well, the part when she's like, "Well, I'm Rahayu or whatever," I probably butchering that. And they both look at each other. They're like, oh, "Come with us," you know. Uh, I was like. Oh. Dini, you're trying to help, I know, but come on. Uh, yeah, that that part definitely did. It felt really Hitchcockian. And she's following them into the woods, and they're glancing back at her. That entire, you knew what was going to happen, pretty much. Yep. But the way that was handled was so, so perfect. And those those two guys, those two, like, the lackeys of, 
of um you think the village elder but ultimately the village elder's mom um those two lackeys of hers they are i think they give really great performances like that scene takes a lot of because you can tell there's two sides to them in that scene and it's just fantastic i really do think the performances are strong and that definitely adds to the dread um even you just watch this movie without with the sound off and you can kind of tell what's happening that they're trying to coerce like an answer out of her um yeah, so just really well-crafted movie, and, and uh, haven't heard anything else from this director. I haven't seen Satan Slaves or anything, but I'm definitely curious now. Yeah. yeah. Trey, what say you? Yeah, well, Jackson, I was going to say, he also, um, director of this film, also wrote the new film from this year, The Queen of Black Magic, which is also a remake. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one as well. Um, but, yeah, I feel so bad for, you know, Dini and Maya. <laughs> yeah, here oh, they're just... Man. They're just down on their luck, and they're so bad that they want to go to this remote village, you know, take this cart ride that they don't know if there's going to be a way back from. You know, they don't know what to expect in this village, just at that chance that, you know, there's an inheritance waiting in there. And uh, it just makes you feel so bad for them. But, yeah, but this film definitely has um, an infatuation with kind of like throat cutting, right? Yes, yes. I don't know if that's just like the simplest method you know this is a remote village they're not having a lot of contact with the outside world is that like just the easiest way to go about it i don't know but yeah i, I it, well of course i think it has probably just has something to do with and we see this in many different religions and especially in in ancient judaism it's that whole sacrificial thing right you you cut the you cut the throat and and but it's oh man it, it and a couple things that really creep me out that i'd like you guys to comment on i i you know, I think you, Jackson, you hit the nail on the head. Like the friend, you know, the when they go get the two guys get, you know, Dini and they're and they're leading her out in the woods and they're looking kind of nervous, but they're looking back and and everybody in this village seems to have like mixed feelings about what's going on. I mean, they're like, okay, we have to do this because we're we're under this horrible curse, and it, you know, and they're acting like in the culture of that village, it's shameful not to have children, and so we've got to do this. But if everyone except the matriarch, that old, you know, that older matriarch, she's just like, let's get it on, let's slit some throats, let's go. She's scary. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there is definitely like a there is a hesitance there. Like they lead her away from the village, and they're kind of nervous about it. You know, they're yeah. they. they don't do it outright, and only towards the end do you really see the whole um, tribe, the whole village come together, and they're like, okay, we're just gonna, you know, we're gonna revert to the pitchforks and torches mob at this point. But right. It is a little bit more subtle that everyone is just kind of like, I think they suspect that they know who she is, kind of, but they're just, they, they don't, they, it seems like there's, and again, going back to that scene where they're trying to um, get information on Adini, it kind of seems like they're kind of hoping that she isn't that's like they kind they know what they have to do when she is when she turns right. out to be rahayu um is that how you say her name was that the name of the of maya's like true birth name was that i can't i can't remember off the top of my head and i probably butchered if even if i did but uh yeah it's maya um yeah maya and her, and her friend dini i think is how you yeah. pronounce it because i of course i was watching the subtitles most of the time so um i may be mispronouncing that as well i was just reading off the subtitles but um yeah, that, and then we have, at the very end, we have the twist. Trey, what did you think of the twist at the end? Oh, man. Yeah, it kind of kind of sees that. Um, are we talking about now, Matt, are we talking about the twist at the very end of the film, or are we talking about the twist well, that happens to Maya? 
Yeah, both. I mean, the boom, boom, kind of right within, within yeah. like five, ten minutes, we get kind of two kind of twists. Yeah. Yeah, I think the first twist is kind of, you know, first we find out that, you know, Maya's father had murdered the three children. Right. And that kind of makes him a bad guy, right? And then on the opposite side, we figure out, you know, Maya was really the daughter of the village elder. Um, and that they kind of orchestrated this thing to make it look like, you know, um, her, who she thought was her father was a bad guy and did all this killing. And it's just, I, it's just the backstory and everything that's built up with this is so good that they've got into this whole thing. You've been wondering the whole movie, like they haven't really talked about what happened back then, what really happened. Yeah. And it was great to get that kind of relief. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Jackson, what did you think of the kind of double twist at the end? I was I was confused and then I had to think about it after the movie ended. Um, but mm. yeah, the, the part that nailed it in for me that I was like, oh, now I understand. Like there's a bunch of flashbacks and stuff, but the thing that really nailed it in my head, and I think this is why they did it, uh, was when um, Maya's hanging upside down. She's like, no, I'm your daughter. You know, and I was like, oh, that was what was going on. OK, OK, I yeah. understand now. Um, yeah. So the first twist uh, that Maya was what born a skinless baby the first one who was yeah. cursed and that the yeah. other children were sacrificed for black magic reasons to put skin on her yep um that's pretty gnarly that's that's pretty pretty gnarly indeed and then there's yep. a weird there's a weird thing with uh what is there like some some uh incest going on somewhere in this i'm i'm very confused or infidelity there's there's mm. lots of of stuff going on especially with um the mother of the new village elder who was the housekeeper of uh the old village elder who mm -hmm. is maya's father right um and she's really controlling the whole situation right she put this in motion she was the one that initiated the curse um because she knew that it wasn't it was that maya was actually her son's uh daughter <laughs> it's, it's really not as complicated as i'm making it sound it's not as complicated as uh pre cosnovenia but uh there is a lot going on and it's hard um, to talk through right sure yeah, yeah. is because when they open those you know when they open that closet door and all the bones start to fill out there's like a cemetery full of you know uh of skeletons that come flying out of that closet yeah and and the the whole thing with the skin puppets and everything, yeah, it's just it's very unique. It's very interesting and unique. And I think this is one that could benefit from a rewatch, as with all the ones that we've discussed tonight. Um, because once you kind of know where the story's going, I feel like rewatching these um, foreign language horror movies it it really helps it along because once you kind of know where it is, you can focus more on the dialogue and the intricacies of the characters. Um, so, yeah, but I was confused until Maya kind of spelled it out for me. Um, but uh, I I thought it ended really, really well. We get a little hint at maybe a sequel somewhere coming on. Mm -hmm. I could see that happening, and I, I would definitely watch that. So I, I think it was handled really well. Yeah, I agree. So anything else we have in our notes, gents, before we uh, rate this sucker? Trey, anything else you want to say about Impedigore? I was going to say we were kind of talking about the village elder's mother there. kind of goes back to uh, Joe Bob with like the psycho hag, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. To tie into recent events here. But yeah, and it's like they, the village just can't catch a break with that last twist. I mean, it's like, oh, man. we finally get over this. We got this bad thing behind us. And it's like, no, the mother's going to haunt us forever. So I know it was like, and you think, because 
like I said earlier, it's like they they seem to have these mixed feelings. They badly want this curse away, but they don't really want to like slit someone's throat and do all this kind of stuff. And that you you kind of feel this sigh of relief, and then right before the credits, you get this gut punch. You can't help but feeling for this poor village. Oh man, man, oh man, Jackson, what else you got? I want to say on the matter uh, that that was actually now that I think about it, that was foreshadowed. That ending was foreshadowed when. Maya's talking to the the wife of the guy who attacked her in the beginning. She says, I don't believe that killing you will solve anything because one curse turns into another. Uh, so when they when they solve the curse with the mother, it's just another one starts. I so, yeah, missed that. Good they, call. Yep. They really can't catch a break, but that's just how it is. Once you make once you curse someone, something bad is going to happen for all eternity. I think it's the message of the movie. Um, and there's no thing that can solve it, basically, which really <laughs> sucks. But it, and that is a really depressing uh, ending. But I mean, it is a horror movie, so it makes sense. And and that is definitely something that I just tied that together in my mind. It is foreshadowed. That is a huge credit to the the screenplay. I mean, they thought about yep. that. Yep, Jackson, I. I just watched that for the second time this week, and I I missed that piece. I mean, I caught the part kind of on the uh, bus ride where, you know, she's asking the college professor, what does this mean? Oh, it's protection, but it was done by someone evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of foreshadowing something we learn about later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I definitely missed that. So that's a really good catch there, Jackson. That's Yeah, absolutely. Good one, bud. So uh, ratings and recommendations. I give this a 9 out of 10. Uh, I call it a buy. I, I will definitely be purchasing this, purchasing this at some point. I think it's an excellent film. This director's got, you know, uh, Joko's had two great films, you know, horror films in the last five years. I think he's an up-and-comer. Really, really like this this movie. What say you, Trey? Yeah, we're in line tonight, Matt. Um, I'd come in at like an 8.5 or a 9 on this one. Mm-hmm. That was my favorite um, foreign horror film from last year. Yep. And yeah, I think it's just going to be a classic. I think we're going to look back at Joko's films and just hopefully we've got a long filmography at that point, but definitely buy this one. Absolutely. So what you say you Jackson, I'm actually leaning towards a nine. I think this is my yeah. favorite movie we watched, uh, for this ep- episode. Um, and I, this, I'm starting to think this would have been maybe even number 10 on my top 10, at least number 11 on my honorable mm-hmm. mentions, you know, part of my num- honorable mentions, but, um, yeah, this, this is a fantastic movie. And and this one, I think will have some rewatch value to it now that you know where it's going. Um, but, uh, very, very well crafted. And I'm definitely interested in seeing the other films from, from this director. I would say buy it, but if it's streaming, you know, why not? You, I mean, streaming, it supports the, um, the creators as well but if you want to stream it and buy it i'm sure they wouldn't protest (laughs) yeah i I doubt they yeah i doubt they'd uh object to that so well folks we want to thank our supporters over at patreon like trey and dr uh shock becker and others and you can become one as well for as little as two dollars and fifty cents a month all proceeds go to the sun and his future and film school and as a an aspiring horror filmmaker my dream to remake the encounter from 1992 make it real that's right is that what i'm funding now yes it is funding trey i think (laughs) that's where your tax dollars are going are you happy Uh, i think you are a producer now of a remake (laughs) of the encounter trey (laughs) oh okay i'm behind that there you go. So you can pick episode themes or movies, be on the show, and you can vote in our horror Oscar awards. But time is running out because Jax and I will be recording that show uh, within a few days after this episode drops. And 
some of the races are tight, aren't they, Jackson? That's yes. Some of them are even tied. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes. But it is definitely this is a close race. And um, yeah, this is going to be really interesting. Yeah. And so you can find more uh, from us over fatherandsonwatchhor.com as well as our Twitter account at fathersonwhor. We also have a growing closed Facebook page and we are on the grams as Daryl Taylor likes to call Mm -hmm. them. So Trey, thank you for being on, sir. Where can people find you online? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Trey W underscore 73. And I'm also on Letterboxd. I can't remember what it is there, but there is a link in my Twitter. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I always scroll down after I I watch a movie and I'll review it on Letterboxd. And then I always scroll down to see what a few people who I respect think. And Trey is always one of them. It's always (laughs) like, I'm always looking to see what does Trey have to say? What does Ian West have to say? Uh, You see everything. That's the thing. (laughs) <laughs> Whenever you watch a movie, you know that you have already reviewed it on Letterboxd because you you see everything pretty much. Yeah, I don't quite see everything, but I I get close sometimes. But I definitely Ian <laughs> Ian is on there a lot as well. Ian sees a lot. Mm-hmm. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So, oh man. Um, I also uh, before we turn it over to our individual stuff, I uh, also want to give a shout out to a new podcast from our pal Shane the Maniac Cop. Uh, He has a podcast called Coffee with the Maniac. Uh, Check it out. Uh, We're talking to Shane. We hope to have Shane on the podcast here the next few months. So, uh, Jackson, where can they find you online, buddy? Uh, You can find my letterbox at Kane Hero, K-A-I-N-E Hero. Uh, Twitter, it's Kane underscore Hero 12. And you can find my links to my YouTube channel and stuff from there. Um, But beware, if you go on my YouTube channel, those are YouTube videos. Do not expect uh, something as good as The Encounter, okay? I'm not not quite there yet. (laughs) But uh, yeah, just uh, look for me and you'll find me. Hit me up and we can talk about horror movies. There you go. So I can be found on Twitter and Letterboxd as Pastor Matt R., And next up, folks, we have our horror Oscar show. Jackson and I pick the nominees. The supporters at Patreon pick the winners. And we don't know who the winners are going to be until the time we record. Right, Jackson? We're waiting right up until until we announce it. So anything could happen. Hey, this is some curveballs could head our way. Who knows? But it's going to be very exciting. This is the definitive award show for the year. Just so you know, don't tune into the Oscars. Who needs those? Uh, just see what won Best Picture at the Horror Oscars this year, and you'll be all set. Yeah, I saw Nomadland, the the uh, which is the front runner for the Oscars, and quite frankly, and Pettigore's better. So anyway, <laughs> all right, Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. Uh, goodbye, and remember to rewind your high eight tapes. Is that a relatable enough one? Okay, how about this? Goodbye, and remember to bury your skin puppets. Oh, well, oh that doesn't sound right. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Uh, goodbye, no, and remember to pet Smock and give him lots of treats because he's a good boy. Yes, and leave Smock alone. So anyway, Smock alone. Leave Smock alone. Thanks for listening, and remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. See you next time. Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon. Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corby, Ashley Pinker, Blake Pops, Joel Robertson, Brian Scott, Amy Swan, and Trey Whetstone. Thank you all so much for the continued support. Have a great week.
Тошенька, а как ее зовут? Как? Ой, мам, купи мне такую глупую. Ой, я хотела сказать добрую, добрую. 